You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Jets podcast for Wednesday, August 4th, 2021. I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com. And today our episode is brought to you by the Peacock and Williamson podcast. NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson host Locked On's Peacock and Williamson every Monday through Friday. Brian and Matt give you the national perspective all around the NFL, covering all the latest news and insight on every game team and move. Get your picks, previews, and much more every weekday with the Peacock and Williamson podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you are subscribing to Peacock and Williamson, subscribe to Locked On Jets. That's this show. We have new episodes Monday through Friday, each day throughout the year as well. And if you like what you hear, give us a five-star review. That helps us out quite a bit. Today we have our weekly mailbag show. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions. Our first question, John, how much stock do you put in training camp reports from the media? Last year, I recall things sounding pretty grim based off reports, and they were dead on. I remember reading about the Jets' backups beating the starters in the green and white practice. However, I also remember Quinn and Williams being called invisible in training camp, and he had an excellent season. Well, there are a couple of things to remember. And one thing to remember is how difficult it is to report from training camp. You know, you watch the games on Sunday and you can't tell everything that's going on and you have the benefits of replays after every single snap. The reporters covering these practices, they don't get to watch it on TV. Frequently, they don't have great angles on the action that's happening and they don't have the benefit of replay. And in addition to this, in the days after each game, you get to rewatch the film and you get to reanalyze what happened. You re- when you're at training camp, you get to watch the play once. And it's very difficult to see every single thing that's going on. And these reporters do their best to give you all the action. But it's easy to miss something. Sometimes you're not quite sure if you see the correct thing. You know, maybe, maybe you missaw something. It's, it's a very tough thing to, to do things that add to the difficulty are that most of these practices are not in pads it's not full contact so you know you don't have the benefit of simulating the game experience especially when it comes to like the run game because there's not as much physicality as you would see during a game you kind of feel like the guys are going at half speed at points during these training camp practices but also, you know, guys get better over the course of the season. I don't doubt that Quinn and Williams may have had a quiet training camp last year. If you remember, I mean, he had a great week two against San Francisco, but it was, aside from that, it was really the second half of the season where he started coming on. I think his first month or so outside of that San Francisco game was pretty quiet. So it may have been a case where he began to put things together. I don't think you ever want to read too much into training camp, though. It's just training camp. You know, last year was a little it was also tricky because you did not even have preseason. And I don't I think it's very easy to get carried away with the preseason results as well, but last year we really did not have a lot to go off. Um, you know, you could tell there were certain issues last year. You could you I mean you could tell that the team was having issues preparing for the season because of how many hamstring injuries they were suffering. It was a sign that maybe in that unique preparation period because there were no preseason games last year 
maybe that the coaching staff w- was not doing the, the right things, getting the team ready for the season. You just don't want to go crazy, though. I, I think that ultimately training camp results are training camp results. They don't win you games. They don't lose you games. You very rarely remember anything carrying over to the season. I, I don't really worry that much about this stuff until the games really begin. On that note, our next question, a lot of fans are distressed about the amounts of sacks and pressures Carl Lawson is able to obtain daily while working against Mekhi Becton. I personally, I personally feel like Becton getting reps daily against Lawson is the best thing that can happen for the young tackle. Are you concerned, or do you feel that it's Becton, to Becton's advantage when the games actually begin? See, this is one of these things that there have been reports almost every day that Carl Lawson's having a lot of success against Mekhi Becton. And to me, this doesn't necessarily say much about Carl Lawson or Mackay Becton. It kind of tells me whether you're an optimist or a pessimist because people are some people are panicking because Lawson's getting the better of the play. So people are saying this is supposed to be, you know, this was the guy we drafted in the first round in 2020. This is his second season. We're looking for him to make a big step forward. And now he's getting beaten on a, on a consistent basis in training camp. I can guarantee you the people saying that if the shoe was on the other foot and Mekhi Becton was dominating Lawson on a daily basis, these same people who are panicking about Becton right now would be saying, our big money free agent signing can't get to the quarterback. That's the tricky thing about training camp. It's a zero-sum game. Somebody's success is coming at the expense of somebody else. That's one of the, it's, just, it's just the way it is. One player is going to be successful on every single play. So, you know, you, you could just as easily say, hey, our big money free agent is doing a great job against our against our young tackle, who we think is going to be our cornerstone left tackle. We should be really excited about Carl Lawson. We don't really know. I mean, it's tough to say. I remember back in 2016, the Jets had traded for Ryan Clady. And as crazy as it sounds, Lorenzo Malden was actually coming off a pretty credible rookie campaign. And you did not hear much from Lorenzo Malden in training camp. And I, re- I remember wondering, is that a sign Ryan Clady looks great? Is it a sign Lorenzo Malden is terrible? Is it a, maybe a little bit of both? Well, as it turns out, it really was Malden was terrible because Clady did nothing for the Jets that year before he got hurt. He was not very effective as a left tackle. And Malden ended up being benched and was not long for the team. So, yeah, look, it's possible that Becton is showing you troubling signs that will manifest the, itself themselves during the regular season. But that's only one possible interpretation here. It's also possible Carl Lawson, who has been a really, really good player for the Bengals, is ready to take his game to the next level working with Robert Sala. And maybe he's just playing so well that Becton can't handle him and maybe no tackle can handle him. You know, it's one of the reasons I'm looking forward to both the preseason and also some of the joint practices that are coming up later in training camp because the Jets actually have joint practices scheduled against two teams. They have joint practices scheduled against Green Bay and against Philadelphia. And really in recent memory, the only other time I can remember the Jets having a joint practice scheduled was uh, 2018. It was Sam Darnold's rookie year where they had a joint practice against Washington and they, they, they took place in Richmond right before those teams played in the preseason. I remember that vividly because I actually went to one of those practices in Richmond, Virginia 
and Washington had like a, this setup where they had two fields working simultaneously and on one field it was the Jets offense versus the Washington defense and on the other field it was the Washington offense versus the Jets defense and I guess as like a media member you're supposed to pick one of the two fields but I like found like this great spot that was be kind of between the two fields and I got yelled at by the Washington PR guy he was kind of mad at me because I was supposed to pick one of the fields so I then I had to I picked I picked my side I picked it was the Washington offense versus the Jets defense and then this big fight broke out and I have my phone out because I'm you know tweeting from the Gangrene Nation Twitter account, and this PR guy comes up to me and he goes, he goes he goes were you taking videos of that? And I go no, and he's like looking at me suspiciously, which first of all like I think I'm allowed to do like, but second of all like he, he go he's like he's like really like giving me grief. He, he he's like you're sure you didn't take any videos? No, you have to understand that there are like 2,000 people in the stands right behind me, all of whom have their phones out taking videos. And this Washington PR guy is essentially making it clear that if any video of this fight gets gets uh, gets out online, I'm getting blamed. <laughs> uh, uh, so that's... So, you know, apparently, you know, if you go back and search Twitter from 2018, the Jets-Washington uh, fight in preseason, apparently it was, you know, 2,000 people who were all me tweeting this out. Um... But anyway, that's the only time in recent memory I can remember the Jets doing doing a joint practice. I, you'd have to go back to the Herm Edwards days, I think, when they did a joint practice against the Giants, which also had a fight. In any event, I'm looking forward to these joint practices because it's not going to be a case where one guy on the Jets wins and one loses. You know, you'll have Lawson go against Green Bay and Philadelphia tackles, and when he wins, you won't have to panic that your you know young cornerstone left tackle is getting beaten. And, you know, if a fight breaks out, you know, I, I won't be there, but maybe the PR guys will blame me as well. Maybe maybe I'll be responsible for 2,000 videos getting tweeted out about that also. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using promo code LOCKEDON. It's one word with no space, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. This is the Locked On Jets podcast on this Mailbag Wednesday. Our next question, is Elijah Moore going to lead the Jets receivers in yardage? I say he is. Tell me I'm crazy. I'm not going to say that that's crazy. I'm going to say that that's not my expectation for Elijah Moore. I loved the pick. I absolutely loved it when the Jets drafted Elijah Moore in the second round. I think he's going to be a great playmaker for this team. I just don't want to put those expectations on him. I think it's possible. Listen, he's got the tools to be something special. I would not be shocked if he led the team in yardage. The only reason I don't want to put that expectation on him, though, is I don't want to set this up so that it's a disappointment if he fails to do that. I always like to set expectations low for rookies, and then if they exceed them, it's a pleasant surprise. I never want to go into the season saying our rookie needs to go out there and dominate. So that's the only reason I won't set those expectations for Elijah Moore, but I think it is certainly possible. There's a reason everybody, including me, was excited when the Jets were able to get him early in the second round. So, you know, it's not crazy. Just don't 
put that I don't think that's what he needs to do for this season to be considered a success. I think that if he does that, great. But even if he doesn't, that does not necessarily mean that this season is a failure. Next question, John, one of my main complaints in, in, in the past is that the Jets seem to sign aging veterans who aren't very good simply for a veteran presence. This year, we have taken a completely different approach. It seems our young players are getting every chance to show what they have. There are ups and downs to both ways, but which method do you prefer? Well, as always, it depends on the uh, specific player. But, you know, if you don't have a veteran with a track record of quality play in this league, then I'd rather go young. I, I, think, that young, I think that youth is always the tiebreaker for me. I'd rather have a veteran who's a quality player over a young player who's maybe not much of a prospect. But if I've got a young guy who can play versus an older guy who can play, I'm always going to choose the young guy. And if you have a bunch of wild cards, I'm hoping that like the young, I'd rather have a bunch of young guys because guys who have been in the NFL for a couple of years typically are who they are. You know, they, they don't really have much room to grow. If you've been in the NFL four or five years, odds are you're, you don't have a lot of a lot of area to improve whereas somebody who's new into the NFL maybe they surprise you you know if you're 21 22 you may not have reached your athletic prime yet there's still time to develop with NFL coaching you know maybe you did not get great coaching in college maybe uh, you know pro professional coaching can teach you how to play the game a little bit better so I'd rather go in that direction I mean yeah I, I think through the years I mean I think about, you know, David Bass being on this team as an edge rusher or Josh Martin. And, you know, no offense to those guys. I just don't know why they – I guess Josh Martin was a decent uh, special teamer. But I don't really see what the benefit is to bringing guys like that in. You know, if you're going to not really have anything proven at the position, go young. Maybe you get a player or two who surprises you. You know, I remember a couple of seasons ago – at wide receiver, the Jets had uh, this guy, Charles, Charles Johnson. And again, no offense in intended, but I kept hearing throughout that preseason that he was a solid veteran. And I looked at his track record and I looked at his skill set and I said, well, what's solid about this guy? When has this guy ever been solid? You know, I'd rather have a younger player out there. And part of this is also a lot of these guys can, the best tool that you have for young unheralded players are practice reps and it's better to give them to younger guys who you know may not be on the field on Sunday you know if you're and this gets more into the backup area but if you're talking backups you're talking like depth players third stringers they're not going to see the field very much so the most action those guys get is on the practice field and practice reps are much better given to young developing players than there are older players who are past their prime you know, this is something, this is one of those hidden things that I think a lot of bad teams do. Uh, Washington has been notorious about that uh, through the years with Dan Snyder. I mean, two things they've been notorious for are, one, blaming me for videos that go out on fights uh, in training camp. And two is uh, giving veterans practice squad, uh, giving veterans practice reps who aren't seeing much action. And they're they're famous for other things, including bad free agent contracts. But that's one of those that's one of those like small areas where it kind of benefits you and you know your your payoff may not be this year it may be down the line you know if you go back 
to 2012 when Damon Harrison uh, Snacks was on the Jets as a rookie. He did not play much, but I think you looking back, he probably benefited quite a bit from have, from getting those practice reps that did not go to maybe a guy who was older who you know had more experience in the NFL. So I, I think in general, I always I tend to err on the side of all things are equal of giving young players an opportunity. Give you know, give I, I tend to. If it's if it's close, I like to choose the young player. Built Bar has so many delicious flavors, and when you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're definitely passionate about their faves. But if you haven't tried all the flavors yet, you can get a mixed box where you get two each of the nine flavors. Not only are the Built Bar flavors the best tasting, but they're also healthy. Order today and get the Grasshopper Cookie, or Raspberry, or whatever you'd like. Built Bar is the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. And if you go to built.com and use promo code LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D, number one, number five, no space, for 15% off at built, B-U-I-L-T, dot com. This is the Locked On Jets podcast on a Mailbag Wednesday. Our next question, the Jets' new offense has been described as focused on establishing the run. And it seems to me that Becton is a better run blocker than pass blocker at this point in, in his career. It also seems to me that more runs and bubble screens and swing passes to runners will go to the right than to the left. Shouldn't Becton and Elijah Vera Tucker be on the right side, especially since we have Morgan Moses, an improvement over Fant, who can go to the left side? Well, if your idea is that you want to run the ball and throw more screens to the Becton Vera Tucker side, then instead of moving them to the right side, you could just run the ball and throw the ball to that side more frequently. Just have it go to the left more frequently. I mean, if you're talking about screen passes, Zach Wilson's a right-handed quarterback, so it's natural for him to throw to the left. You know, you take the snap, he's already he's already kind of pointed at the left side if he's going to throw you know if you're if Zach Wilson's throwing to the right he kind of has to move his body to get into throwing position so I mean I think in, instead of reshuffling your entire offensive line the easier path would just be change your play call change the direction of your play calling and I think that strikes me as a pretty simple thing to do next question next question how will the young defensive backs perform are you comfortable with them going into the season so this goes, I guess this goes back to a question we got in the second segment. So I guess I can't really complain about the lack of vet- a veteran presence because if all things are equal, I prefer young players. I wish the Jets had gone out and gotten at least one proven player at corner, though. You know, I, I, guess, I guess I'd rather have a bunch of youth at corner than than just having a bunch of older players who have been mediocre for their entire careers. But ultimately, I wish the Jets had at least like one corner with a track record of success in this league. I think it's going to be awfully tough at the corner position. But you know, I go back to something I said through the course of the offseason. Even with all the resources the Jets had, they also had a lot of work to do. And something was going to have to be, be neglected. And... I'm glad it was not the offense. I'm glad for once the Jets focused on improving the offensive line, giving their young quarterback lots of quality targets to throw to. And clearly on the defensive side of the ball, the philosophy is going to be to build around that defensive line and hope that they can help compensate for the struggles the team may have in the back of the defense. It, it Look, it's more 
corner than it is safety. I think the Jets are pretty good at the safety position. But at corner, it could be a, a struggle, and you, you just hope that there's enough of a pass rush that the defensive line does a good enough job to help cover for them a little bit. And I also think that you know if you look at the resources that have been spent on the, the defensive line versus the lack of resources spent at corner, and you look at the job Robert Robert Sala did in San Francisco, kind of coaching guys up. Maybe there's a little bit of confidence that the coaching staff can make more with less, make more out of less at the corner position. You know, I think it's going to be a challenge though this year. This is a Jets team that's not completely built. They have some issues, and maybe the biggest issues at corner. You know, this is a team. It, it was inevitable. The Jets were not going to go from two and fourteen to a Super Bowl roster overnight. There was going to be at least one area where you were going to go into the season pretty nervous. I'm pretty nervous at corner. I'm hoping that some of the young guys can step up. I'm hoping the coaching staff can make it work. We'll see. That's all for our show today. Thank you for listening. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, if you enjoy the show, subscribe to it and leave it a good review. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more Jets.